With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mike's on. He's ready to go. On the fan. New York Sports Radio. Mike's on. Mike's on. All right, here we go. As promised, we have uh, in studio the Met hierarchy, uh, Jeff Wilpon, uh, the new general manager who's already been busy, uh, Brody Van Wagenen, and uh, the Met manager, Mickey Calloway. Now, you I know forever, Jeff, so I'll say hello to the other two guys first. We've done one interview already, Brody, so welcome. Nice to see you. Thank you. Nice and Mickey, you. I've never met yep. you before, so uh, welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. Uh, nice to have nice. everybody here. I'll start with you, Jeff, because you made the news yesterday. I got a call you saying someone says, can you believe the Met owner is in Rwanda? I'm like, I, I, I didn't know he was in Rwanda. I mean, so what's going on? So you went to Rwanda, which is not a short trip. No. My wife's bucket list to go trekking for gorillas. I promised it would be a slow time, and... Sure enough, Brody broke that up pretty good. And you can get criticized for going to Rwanda, too. Like, why is the Met, Magical, why is the Met owner in Rwanda? I said, who cares? You can go wherever he wants on vacation. What do they care? They think you can't do business when you're there. Obviously, you can take a phone call even from there, right? The cell phone works there, right? The cell phone worked. I had a satellite phone. We, we got Brody can attest. We, we were on the phone a bunch. But, you know, it's his job to do this work and then bring it to us to, uh, to get it finalized. All right. Um, Already a big move. Uh, a fast press conference yesterday. I mean, it, it, can, why was he here? He was here and gone. It was like 10 minutes. He was back, on the, it was back in the air and gone. Um, I'll start with you, Brody. This deal, what attracted you uh, so much to this deal off the bat, especially uh, Robinson Cano at this stage? Well, I think the key was we, we had some real needs when we entered the offseason. I think last time we spoke, we had a few shopping, shopping uh, items that we had to get done. And so being able to get a middle-of-the-order bat and get somebody to the bullpen that could close out our games was a massive win for us to be able to start the, start the, uh, the pursuits and, and to be able to get, uh, get, you know, get a chance to have a lot more clarity in what our team looks like going forward. And then on the Cano front, I had personal history with him. I believe in the guy. He had history here in New York, and he loves playing here. And I think he was – when he had to make a decision about waiving his no-trade clause, I think it was a pretty quick conversation. I know Robinson Cano really well from the days he was here with the Yankees. Uh, I got to know him well because he was kind of the guy who followed A-Rod around everywhere, and he was, you know, A-Rod was like his mentor. Uh, and uh, so I used to do a lot of interviews with him. I like He's a great kid, and now he's not a kid anymore. He's been around forever. Any trepidation at all with the mileage that he has as a player, 36 with over 2,000 games played, whatever went on this year with his – uh, drug situation, which I don't know if that was masking something else or not. I don't really care. But just the whole idea of a player coming back to a town at that age, middle infielder, with that much tread off the tire, having played almost 2,050 games, which is a lot of, lot of baseball. A lot of games. It's, yeah. it's funny. You, you can talk about, you know, most people say players that don't play all the time. He lack plays dur- all the time. They lack durability. Right. So we actually still view the durability as a good thing okay. for him. He knows how to train himself, and 
And uh, if you know you you know Robbie well, well, he loves to play the game and he loves to he loves to have fun out there. So I think getting a little shot of adrenaline coming back to New York, we'll we'll see him on the field a lot. Jeff, anything about Canos? Did any of it uh, give you any pause? Any of the Canos stuff? The idea of the age, the uh, just the, his lifestyle. You know, the the drugs last year. Any of it bother you? No, oh, oh no. I mean, I, I spoke to Brody about all of it, and it all came under consideration. Obviously, the money's coming back, and and getting off the couple salaries to bring his AAV down uh, was a big consideration. But you know. Uh, as I said yesterday in the press conference, the, the I don't consider him a drug chief. Okay. Mickey, let me get to the, uh, the closer for you. I mean, the uh, the closer for you, because last year you talked about a lot a lot about how it would handle bullpen and what you would do with the bullpen. Now you got a guy, and I like this kind of bullpen. I like having a guy who you build everything up to one guy. I don't like this whole where everybody shares every role. Do you like this kind of bullpen it, when you have this kind of guy more than having a bullpen by committee? I think I think we're very aware of the success he had in that closer's role next year. And, and our goal is to always put everybody in a position to have success. And if that's going to be uh, him closing the ninth, then, uh, you know, we're definitely going to uh, listen to what the player has to say. You know, I think that uh, Brody's on the same page as I am. It's it's about the players. And we, and we want to put them in a good uh, position to succeed. And, and he's very comfortable in pitching in that ninth inning. So we're definitely uh, going to be in communication with him constantly about uh, what, what he sees uh, best fit for us. Let me ask you one thing going back to last year, Mickey. Last year, you get off fast in April, really fast. You close well in September, yeah, in 18th and September. The two killer months, you went 15 and 39 in May and June. Looking back, what happened in May and June? Yeah, obviously, I think I think the main thing when I look back, not only did we have some injuries, um, we the the thing that hurt us the most is when we lost our catchers back to back days. You know, we're built on pitching, and we lost our catchers, and and that really hurt us. I don't think it uh, you know necessarily affected this guy's play or that guy's play, but I think it affected our whole ball club. Uh, at the time, and just the the general sense of, uh, oh man, we we lost two of our catchers, and and a catcher is a huge position, uh, as we all know, and 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 we're taking that into consideration this winter. Um, so I think that was the biggest uh, the blow to us last year, um, and and we had a group that was trying to come together. You know, we started off real real fast, like you said, uh, probably wasn't we weren't going to keep that pace. And uh, then things went way south. I was really proud of how the guys came back and they continued to play hard and we finished strong. We have some really good talent. And if we can add to it like uh, Brody already has, we're, we're in a good spot uh, moving forward. How about learning the National League next, last year? You got Riggleman this year, who I love. is a very good guy. I've happened to know him a very long time, too, who is, a, 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 I think, a superb baseball guy. A great, not a big ego guy, great guy. Um, was that a learning curve the National League for you last year? It was, and you're right about Riggleman. He is a great guy, thoughtful, yeah. good, good, man, guy. good baseball guy, good baseball guy. He, but was it a learning curve for you last year? It was definitely a learning curve. I, I learned a ton. I think our whole staff learned a ton. We had, uh, you know, some American League. You didn't guys have a lot of National League over. guys on we your didn't. staff. You didn't. We didn't. Yeah. So uh, I think we we recognized that um, that we needed that, and that's why we went out and got Riggleman. But I, I learned a ton, and I still learn a ton every day. I learned a ton at dinner with uh, Robinson Cano the other, uh, the other night. I mean, he is a baseball guy, and I think that's going to be one of the most valuable things that he's going to bring to our ball club is that veteran leadership and a guy that just thinks about winning and baseball constantly. 
Jeff, let me before I get specific about needs and everything else, let me start with you, big picture. Uh, Brody's obviously been aggressive, and he's talked very aggressively since he took the job. Um, and let me go back to you for a second, because you had a very big job, and now you took this job. Uh, when you made that transition, was there any was there, was that a tough thing or was that an easy thing to jump from a, a very successful position you were in, in every way, financially and every other way, into this position, or, or was it just that good a challenge? Well, I think it was a hard decision because when you do something for 18 years that you love to do, you know, Mickey talked about having it be about the players. That was that was my mindset there. Uh, but when when we looked at what this opportunity could be at this moment and this time in the city, Jeff Jeff and I had lots of conversations about what what the potential was and how I could fit into it. And it was an opportunity that it was too good to pass up. And you know, while while it's always difficult to to tell clients you're not going to work with them anymore, this was something that I think I was more than excited to uh, to jump in headfirst into. That's Brody Van Wagen and the general manager, of course, Mickey Calloway here too, and Jeff Wilpon. Jeff, the big picture right now. Um, the fans are excited by the, the clearly excited by the way uh, Brody's spoken, and he's been very aggressive. Uh, they love that. The first trade you made was a very uh, it wasn't any mighty trade. It was a big splash, bringing back you know a couple of very prominent players, including Robinson Cano. Uh, what is the parameters? What is the picture as far as uh, what's on the table and what's not in terms of spending and in free agency and everything else going on? Well, I think. Brody and I have an understanding of where we are with the payroll right now and what what he can expand it to. Uh, you know, there are some monies coming back from uh, insurance stuff that we talked about using. Uh, and obviously this trade right here, uh, the great thing about it was is close to neutral for us in terms of adding any dollars. So he still has a lot of, lot of leeway and a lot of runway to go do some other things, be it free agent or, or additional trades. But you're not looking to go after the mega guy in free agency. You're not, you're not chasing those big – there's a couple of very big pieces out there. You're not chasing those guys. I haven't heard about those, but I think you can ask Brody. Okay, Brody, those. are you chasing those guys? There's a couple, off, there's a couple of very out. expensive pieces there. Are, are, are those on the table? And they're good players. I think relative of very expensive. I think there's a lot of expensive players well, out there. Well, how about there, the big the two, two? The two big boys do yes. not have offers from us quite yet. Uh, is, is that a possibility? I think we'll always look, and I've said this, you know, and it's not it's not a joke, but we'll always try to be open minded. I think clearly, if we uh, if if we try to operate under the parameters that Jeff and I have, we'll have to be really creative to move some money around to make those guys work. But but clearly, they're uh, they're generational type players that that could work on any club, including ours. Before I ask you the rest of your list, because you gave your list out, what's your list, Mickey? What do you need for this team to be better next year? Yeah, I think that uh, for us to succeed, we need to go out and figure out how we can improve our team the best. And you, you can have a list or whatever, but it comes down to who's available and what you can get. So uh, I think that uh, I'm, I'm happy that, uh, you know, Brody's going to be thoughtful in all of those things. And uh, Scoring ones wasn't gonna, easy for you last year. We, we need a more dynamic offense. I think that uh, we're trying to address that uh, in, in several ways, and we're going to continue to this offseason. So, you know, we want – I loved watching Boston in the World Series. You know, driving in runs, putting the ball in play, not just a homer or strikeout. Well, it was role players who were unbelievable. I mean, they yeah. got Pierce. He was great. He was like, he was Layritz plus. They, Evaldi was great. 
Jackie Bradley got a million big hits at the bottom of the order, so they really used the whole lineup. They really did. You know, I think they're doing a great job of developing those hitters and the, and what they think about when they're when they're swinging the bat. And uh, you know, I think we could do a little bit better job of that. Moving Brody, what's on the shopping list right now? What's at the top of the list? We know we hear about the catcher and and obviously one prominent catcher. Uh, but right now, what's on your wish list right now in terms of position? Well, I'm reading all the comments that people are sending me on Twitter. Okay, it's been it's been good. Uh, and, and they and go they, in one ear and out they, the they other. They have been really you know creative. The old, you know the old statement. You know what? If you if you let the fans make the decisions you'll be sitting with them okay. yes, but, but, uh, but they have not been shy so we've seen a we lot know, of different no, they're ideas not shy. Yes, we know that yes, yes, yes. I can promise you they're not shy <laughs> well, but what about your wish list right now yeah look I, I think that, uh, that we've talked about it. I mean the, the ability to give Mickey some more weapons to score runs is important and we have to have more depth you know, he, he needs to have a bench and he needs to have versatility on the roster that's going to give him options to mix and match players to give some of our guys some days off you talked about Cano and his his age, we don't want him to have to play 150 games anymore. You know, that's that's too much. You'll have trouble getting him out of the lineup, though. That's and that's sure. a good thing. I hope yeah. I hope everybody doesn't want. I hope we have to fight and pull everybody off the lineup. But depth is going to be something we're going to we're going to want to try to address. We're going to want to try to add some more some more offense in the middle of the lineup. And whether that comes, you know, in the infield, whether that comes in the outfield, I think we probably have. Uh, you know, one too many left-handed bats in yep. the middle of the lineup uh, to not have a righty to offset it. So I think we'll, tr- we'll try to get some more balance. Um, we're really hopeful that Peter Alonso can be some of that balance coming off a, off a great season in the minor leagues last year. And with his power, if it develops the way we think it can, we've got some real What thunder. do you do, McNeil, now that you have Cano? McNeil is a crucial guy. We, we had, play him at third base? Is that the idea? Give him a chance to play third base? I mean, what's the plan? I think we can uh, play him at multiple positions. You know, I almost see him, um, you know, a Ben Zobris type that can go oh, really? play anywhere. Infield and outfield? I think he can play in the outfield. He's okay. done it in the past. He's got a passion for it. Um, we'll have to see exactly what, uh, you know, he can do when spring training comes around. But I think that uh, we can keep all options open with him because he can play multiple positions and he can swing the bat. Catcher, uh, obviously. Just back to it? McNeil, if you, if you don't yes, mind. One, ahead, one second. Well, it's been interesting because Seattle really wanted him to be included in the deal, and we resisted. was he in the deal at one point. Well, he was he was in their proposals, okay, <laughs> but he, okay. he wasn't in ours. <laughs> um, but they really wanted to to get him, and what we found in, in terms of our resistance from our analytics guys to what Mickey just described and Zobras type player to the way the other teams now that we kept him have been doc- knocking down our door. He becomes more valuable to us every day, and I think that he uh, he can be in the outfield for us. He can be he can be a guy that uh, that gets a lot of at bats the way teams are using you know their extra guys now. Is there any guy in the everyday lineup that you would be uh, against moving in the right deal? Is there anybody that you would? I mean, there's obviously pitchers that you have on that level, but is there a player on that level? Well, I think what we've done here, I think we talked a lot about trying to win in 2019. Jeff's talked about the versatility or, or play, payroll flexibility we have now. But what we have the opportunity now is we've got a core group of guys with Cano for five years, with uh, Diaz for four years in the bullpen. We've got Lugo and Gesellman all have four-plus years with us. Rosario has five years. Nimmo has four. Conforto has three. So we're starting to look at a pretty pretty long runway to be competitive. So for us to move any of those guys off of a big league, big league roster – we don't want to create holes somewhere else. So that's why I talk about trying to be additive, not not uh, not pulling pieces away. Okay. Um, and catcher is obviously a big part of this. Uh, uh, is is there is it is it spe- uh, position specific as far as say when we can get obvious catcher, center field, bullpen, etc. Is it 
is it going to be you looking for versatility, as Mickey said, or are you going to be position-specific here? Well, I think you wanted us to get a four-hole hitter last time we talked. You need a big right You need a big right hand. You just got a three-hole hitter. Right. We got, we got the three-hole hitter. You need a big right-handed we, we four-hole hitter. Yeah, yes. I, I didn't want to come here empty-pocketed. That's it. So you did. We, you we brought took, a three-hitter. Yes. You brought your three-hitter. You can bat him two or three. I know these new guys like to bat guys two instead of three. So That's, that's his job. Yeah, you can <laughs> bat him two or three, which I, I, that two-three thing drives me crazy. But the bottom line is... You need a right-handed batter with power on this team, clearly. We, we do. And, and Cespedes, I don't know. Well, let's start there. What is the plan? for? Do you expect to see Cespedes next year? You guys want to go Jeff, Jeff I, do you expect I, to see Cespedes? We, we certainly hope to see him. At some I mean, point? I mean, well, what's what's realistic? I, I think realistic the second half of the season. Okay. So, sometime, but it could be longer, Mike. This is something that, right. you know, it, it's a tough operation. And having do you it on both consider fields? him as part of your plan this year, or is he outside your plan? Yeah, look, I, I, the way we view him is is the ultimate trade deadline piece. We saw what he did in 2015. Oh, yeah. He, he was, he, he he was as good as anybody in the league. Yes. And so the idea is if we can create depth and create a, a team that can win without him, he comes in and it's a shot in the arm that we can't replace. But, okay. So, so yeah, we, we've got, I feel like a three-hole hitter now. Conforto is real power from the left side. Frazier, if he can stay healthy this year, this guy's had, I think he and Josh Donaldson have had more home runs at third base than anybody in baseball over the last five years. So that's a power bat that we're counting on if Alonzo can come on. But if we can get another right-handed bat, uh, you know, sometimes that may have to come in this market behind the plate or – or we can go find somebody that can put the ball in play and, and create havoc on the bases. From That may have to come from the outfield. But we're, we'll keep an open mind. Up. Mickey, let me get to Conforto for a second. There's the old adage, don't ever believe what you see in April and September. He had a huge September. That got his stats up. He had 30 RBIs out of his 82. He had 10 homers in September. He had a lot of homers late. He did not have a great year. And then he got a red hot. Should we buy what we saw in September for him? What changed for him in September? You know, I think he finally got healthy. You know, when, when so the shoulder players, was a problem. You it, think it was? I okay. think that anytime you're coming off of uh, an injury, there's a there's a period where you're adjusting, whether it's you know getting the feel for your swing or the mechanics of getting through something. But I think what took its toll more than anything is missing spring training. And we saw it. Swarzak missed spring training. Vargas missed spring training. Conforto missed spring tra- missed spring training, and they all struggled. Uh, you know, out of the gate. And, and the and longer uh, that he got away from that injury and, and got more comfortable with more at-bats, he got better and better as the season went on. So uh, I think you can believe it. He's done it before at the right times of the season um, other than September, and, and, and he's a good hitter. I mean, you just sit there, you know, being a pitching guy, you sit there and you watch how he covers the ball and where guys try to throw him and what he can do with the barrel of the bat. It, it's pretty impressive. So he, he's, he's definitely a great hitter. Um. That's Mickey Callaway, of course. Jeff, you can feel your pocket start to get pinched as I bring this guy up. Um, <laughs> you had the Indians two years ago, and they set records. Last year, you had a starting pitcher he set records. What did you tweak, if anything, with DeGrom, and how would you put DeGrom's year in perspective that you got to watch last year? I think DeGrom was going to have this year no matter what. Did you change anything? Uh, Dave Island worked Oh, you and Dave. Did you change anything? Um, they, they, they really talked a lot about getting his arm out and getting it on time. And that's it. DeGrom okay. was set he was on ready. that Kluber course okay. where he finally got to that 200-inning mark. Right. He was getting more and more confidence. He kept on growing as a pitcher, and he's got electric stuff. Did you ever I mean, see anybody pitch as well as he did not, last year? Not, no. Not consistently, right? Not consistently. I mean, he never had a bad start. End. I mean, the it guy was, was unbelievable. The one bad start you can feel he had. That, they can feel that money, Jeff, leaving that pocket right now. <laughs> you know right. that? I mean, yeah. he deserves it. He's a, he's a great pitcher. He does. That's it. He, and you, you, you know, anyone you could be, especially you, you could be his agent. Now, how do you, if I'm DeGrom, 
Okay. And I've always, you know, you just talk to our guy. I've always been one to negotiate fiercely. So uh, if I'm DeGrom, I love what happened yesterday. If I'm representing DeGrom, I love what happened yesterday uh, with, with Corbin getting that crazy money. Plus, I want to see how I'm, I'm going to say, let's see where my team is right now with where arbitration is. What's the what number we come up with, Mons? What was the highest guy? You probably know off the top of your head. What was it? Fifteen six six starting pitcher got in arbitration. Arietta is that the high? Fifteen sixty six. So if I'm Degrom, I'm I'm saying let's see here. I want to see. Put put your loyalty on the table. From that standpoint, I'll go to you first. How do you deal with Degrom right now? Well, I'll let somebody else negotiate his arbitration contract. Okay. Um, I will recuse myself from that one. Right. Um, but I'm, I'm impressed. That I don't you know how guys... anybody could win against them in arbitration, considering last year's historic. But uh, but the point is, do you do you deal with them short term? Do you deal with them long term? Owner, general manager, what do you do with the Grom? I, I think we talked about both. And, and Brody's putting some stuff together, and he's got to recuse himself through certain things because he represented them. Uh, but Jake's a great young man. Uh you know, couldn't be a better teammate. People love him around the clubhouse. Uh, we'd like to see him stay here long term. Okay, so and, but so you will there will be a a, a long term offer made to the ground. I'm sure there'll be a, an offer. Uh, how long term that is, that's up to uh, to us to okay. figure out. But yeah, and I think Mike, there's we have a plan. Okay, and and Jeff and I are on the same page with with what uh, what our short term flexibility is. But I mean, let's let's not kid ourselves. We don't talk about having players on our team for four and five years without having Jacob in uniform beyond two years. So our goal will be to try to extend that, gotcha. extend that relationship, and hopefully he can continue to be a, to be a huge part of what we're doing. Okay, so, so and, and I think clearly, uh, obviously, that's, he's the centerpiece uh, now. He's the easy one. Syndergaard, uh, there's been a lot of talk about Syndergaard. How do you view Syndergaard? I think he's one of our aces. You know, we, we, we look and talk about him all the time. He has been one of the top five, top ten pitchers in the game. Even when he misses time, he still puts puts together seasons that have that type of value for us. So, you know, when we line up, and, you know, Mickey can talk more about this too, but when we line up the five guys that we have, along with Lugo, as a potential sixth guy if we need to pull him back in for certain periods of time, it's going to be hard for people to match up with us. And so by making the Cano deal, bringing in Diaz, it's going to be really, really hard to imagine subtracting from from Noah, Wheeler, DeGrom, Mats and and Vargas and and so if we do you know it's uh it's probably going to be looking to get better and not take away from it. And as far as uh, Syndergaard in a trade, it would take. Uh, is it fair to say it would take something special to trade Syndergaard? That is more than fair. More than fair. How are you on the Syndergaard trade? I'm I'm the same way. I said it from the beginning. Would we consider it? Yeah, I think Brody's going to consider everything, but it has to be outsized in our you know, hopefully in our favor. I mean, there's 29 other very smart baseball people out there, so it's never going to be too lopsided, but it has to fill the needs that he wants to fill. Uh, it's funny. Uh, Terry Collins said to me last December that he thought Syndergaard was going to win the Cy Young last year, okay? Uh, obviously, it was the Grom. Mickey, what do you get, put Syndergaard in some perspective for me here? He's a heck of a pitcher. Um, you know, the one part of his game that needs to improve is controlling the running game, and we're working diligently on that. If he can do that, you're going to see – a two ERA. You know, the only runs that scored off him last year was when a guy stole a base and right. then they got a little blue pit or a CNI single, and then the guy scored. So um, he can be every bit as good as uh, what Wheeler did the second half, as what DeGrom did for the whole year, and we're excited that uh, he's a Met, obviously. You guys get – baseball guys get paid or any sport. This is the toughest evaluation when you look at Wheeler. 
is Wheeler the second half of last year, or is he not? You know, like the Yankees have to look at that first baseman, the guy Voigt, who had a 1,000 OPS. Is he is that a one-hit wonder, or is he the real thing? Is Wheeler a one-hit wonder, Mickey, or is he the real thing? You know, I, I believe in players, and I believe once they've done something special, like I mean, ten did, and one in his last fifteen starts. I mean, he, sensational. He's not go right, twenty-two and two. Next but he was great but down. He looked like an ace the second half of the season. Depends how many runs he we score made, for. He made some <laughs> significant adjustments. Right um, with Dave Island, they did a great pitch. Job. Great pitch. He great was. Fantastic, and he's got electric stuff. So anything's possible when you have that kind of stuff and the ability to throw the ball over the plate like he does. So what we saw in the second half, we can and listen. I'm not talking about record because record obviously is based on what you know what happens. But I'm just talking about performance. His performance last 15 starts was lights out. It was lights out. You're expecting you, you think that's the real uh, the real Wheeler? Like it's finally everything's I, I come think, together. I think that's more the real Wheeler on who he can be than what we've seen in the past for sure. And I think people forget about about Zach. Is this guy was a first round draft pick? He was an uber prospect great kid coming too. through. Great, great kid. I think he was well, acquired in the Beltron first? deal. What right? comes first, success or confidence? And I think he got both of those the second half of last year. And for pitches, it's so many things. It's success, confidence. It's right place, right time, and it's also staying healthy. I mean, which is so hard for pitches. I mean, as you know, I mean, it's crazy how hard it is for pitches. Somebody come up with a way that pitches stay healthy. I mean, they make a lot of money. I mean, how many pitches stay? It's so hard to keep pitches healthy. Yeah, the other part I think that Wheeler had and our our staff overall is starting to come together as a group is that he picked up on the success that DeGrom was having. He saw, um, he would, they would watch each other's bullpens and they would talk about pitch mix and they would talk about how to, uh, how to improve. And I think once, if we can create that across all 25 guys on our team, then we're going to have something, something special. And hopefully, you know, Zach can be an influence on the next, the next guy in line. Mickey, your season was a tough season last year. You got beat up pretty hard early in the season, okay? I mean, you had a lot of crazy stuff happen. The team hit a terrible pothole. But it finished, It finished. You know, it, listen, it finished in obscurity while the Yankees won 100 games, but it finished well. It, it didn't give up. It didn't go out and lose 110 games. It, 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 and it was dreadful there for a while. Uh, what do you take from the finish? Is the finish important to you, or is it really something that you start with a clean slate and it's not that important to you? It, it, it is important. I think it's important because we, we saw the character that our players have, and it's them. They didn't give up. They went out there every day, and they continued to try to improve and continued to play the game the right way. So uh, that's momentum going into this year. It uh, gave uh, our ownership group a sense that, hey, we can win with this core group that performed down the stretch and, and, and probably, you know, made a better season than we, than we were looking forward to. It's when we hit that down spell, it's hard to come out of. And I'm proud of the way those players did that. And, uh, you know, to their credit, to a man, they went out there every day and they played the game the right way. That's Mickey Calloway, of course, Brody Van Wagenen and Jeff Wilpon here. Um, where are you right now as you get ready for the winter meetings? Uh, what, what does, where were you and what does this trade elevate you? Like how, how much did this one trade make you better and how much more do you need to do to be competitive? Well, we're going to keep going. I, I think what's going to happen now is Jeff was in the jungle last week. We're going we're gonna to pull him into the jungle that is the winter meeting. So we're dragging him with him. He's going to be at our side. And, you know, the goal is to continue to be aggressive. And, and I think we are you know, simultaneously going down multiple trade fronts, multiple trade conversations. We've picked up our dialogue with free agents uh, over the course of the last five days. And now that we saw the deal coming to a close with the Diaz and, and the Cano deal, we feel like, okay, let's ramp up our free agent pursuits and see what, uh, see what we can do and 
you know, continue to uh, to have fun. And the, uh, I mean, when you look at it, do you have, uh, again, are you uh, very position-specific here, catcher? I mean, we know the positions of need and, and, and where you can move guys around. Obviously, you got more work doing the bullpen in front yeah. of the, uh, the, your now closer. You have, obviously, a need for a right-handed bat. You could use a center fielder if you decide to go with that position where, obviously, and catcher is a very big key for you. You really need to elevate, as Mickey said, elevate the catcher position. Yeah, so you, you mentioned bullpen, too. We yeah. haven't talked a whole lot about that. I yeah, think we which is critical yeah we, we would we feel really good about what we just did but we we definitely need well how do you view let me help. just interrupt for one second yeah. how do you view gaselman and lugo do you see them as swing you see them as starters you see them in the pen what do you want to do with them you know i think gaselman i think at this point you, you can lock him into your bullpen okay and, uh you know i can't say that there's an inning that uh, is going to be specific for him but you see him as your bull, as a bullpen guy not as a spot starter i do and I what think, about lugo lugo i think he can go either way i think you can slide what do you him prefer him do you prefer him in any role um, Lugo prefer- reminds me of Ramiro Mendoza a little bit. He can pitch out of every that's role. He that's really a can. Great call. I think you're. That's a, you hit the nail on the head. I think he can slide in and, and do whatever you want. And, uh, and he's a gamer depends. too. He is, a, it depends yeah. on what your team needs, and he's right. willing to do it. But what would you prefer him as? You want him as a, as an extra starter? Or would you prefer At him in the pen? At this point, with the way our roster is right yeah. now, I prefer him as a bullpen piece. Okay, so that gives you a couple of guys that we know have quality arms. Those two, they're they're, they're good pitchers, they're, especially Lugo. I like Lugo better, but I mean those two, are, they're solid pitchers. So you start from there. I mean, obviously, you need a couple of guys to set up for your your closer. We do, and we need some left-handed help. Yeah, the beauty of Lugo is that he can give us multiple innings, which is you know increasingly more valuable in the game right now. But if we can go get some left-handed help, Zamora did a really nice job. We're counting on him. But if we can add some, you know, some left-handed uh, matchups that, that Mickey can go run with, that's going to be a priority. What is the uh, feeling about Rosario here? What, wh- where is he, and what do you think of this guy? He's a big part of it. I mean, Mickey, you can talk about from a lineup construction. He came on, came on offensively uh, a lot, extra base hits, some power. He came on a lot at the end of the season last year. He Mickey. made some significant adjustments and, and made some significant progress for us. And I, he's still I a love, kid, right? Oh, my God. Yes. I love his energy. He comes to play every day. He's, he's, he's like Reyes was back in his heyday. And he's going to continue to improve. He wants to learn. He wants to be better. He works. He can play every single day. He's doing a great job of covering more pitches, laying off things in the dirt. There's still going to be some swing and miss this next year. There's still going to be some chase. But he's getting better and better, and that's what you want from a young player is to see that significant progress. He made it, and he's going to continue to improve. I think the sky's the limit for him. So you, you like you like him I, as I an do. everyday shortstop? Okay. Absolutely. And, and we like his too? speed. Right. We like his power. He's He's got high motor, as we call it. And I think he's got good power. And I think he's Does really going to benefit from Robinson Cano is going to be an influence oh. on him. I, I think the fact that those two guys can be playing up the middle every day. I think uh, Rosario will understand how to succeed in this environment. And I think I think Rosario will help Robbie in terms of his energy. I know the 28 year old Cano would have been an influence. You know, <laughs> I don't know about the 36. I don't know if Robbie goes out like he used to. He used to go out a lot. He and Milky <laughs> boy, they used to go out all the time. I don't want to talk to the owner about that, but we all know they went out all the time. Robinson Cano, I don't know how he did it. I mean, that guy is crazy, but he never missed a game. That was the best thing about him. The guy, he played every day and played on a high level too. Great hands Cano has. I mean, it just uh, as you guys know, I mean, especially you know him very well, and so do you. You watch him play. What a good hitter he is. I mean, I mean, obviously helped by Yankee Stadium a little bit power-wise, but what a tremendous hitter he is. He really is. Tremendous hitter, and I think the fact that he showed that same bat in Seattle 
where Safeco is similar to our ballpark. Right. It's not an easy place to And play. he hit 39 homers two years ago. He did. Yeah, he which did. is, that's a lot for him. But, I mean, he didn't hit every year out there that many homers. But I always think it's tough when you are a lefty and you leave Yankee Stadium, it's tough. It really is, you know? Because you're going to get so many, you're going to get, if you're a contact guy, you're going to get 10 easy ones in Yankee Stadium. That's all there is to it, you know, where they just fly balls that go out of the ballpark. I mean, so, but uh, as far as Rosario, what's your thoughts on Rosario? I, I echo what they said already, but let me go back to Cano for a second. We had dinner with him the other night, and I didn't realize what kind of student of the game he was. Mm-hmm. Incredible baseball knowledge. I know he was in to see Brody today to talk about roster construction and everything. I think he wants Brody's job at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was it was really neat to see and, and how he wants to do things. I think he was brought up the right way by A-Rod and followed him around for a while, good or bad, however you want to look at that, Mike. But... Uh, yeah, you know, he's, it's he's funny. A student he, of the game. You know, A-Rod is an interesting one because the one thing A-Rod believed in is work. He liked to work a lot early in the day. He's a big work guy. And I think Cano was that way. Cano just has a lot of energy, I think, because he's a guy who could go out late and still show up every day for work. And the guy never, I mean, it didn't matter if it was hot. You know this. The guy never missed a game. He didn't run out every ground ball every day. I mean, he, you know, he didn't bust every ground ball, but he ran, he played hard as far as every, never missed an inning, no less a game. I can't even remember him coming out of the lineup in those games. He wanted every at-bat, that guy. So, I mean, he likes to play, and he's a good I mean, lefty-righty, he's a heck of a hitter. He really is. I mean, that's a, that's a different-level hitter. You know, it really is. He makes a difference. So you think he can just change a whole lineup just by, just by his presence? Yeah, we, we do. We, we think, like you said, he can hit righties. That's Ken Cespedes if he ever plays. <laughs> what about Cespedes? I mean, is Cespedes to a point where you, you just can't count on him anymore? No, not at all. I mean, I mean it's he, been a long time. Get, I, I understand. He wants to get back out there. I mean, I got to know him well the last couple of years that he's been with us. I mean, obviously, Brody knows him even better as representing him. Uh, he's a tremendous talent, and we just need to get him healthy and get him back on the field. And you think that some point, your doctors tell you, some point in this year, you think you will see him? That's what the hope is. All right. Um, as you know, when you go through this now, the big picture is the Met fan, I think, Jeff, feels they always feel, oh, the Mets, they're going to do just enough. They're going to be very careful. Give them the big picture of so that they understand as you go to these meetings here, what is allowed, what isn't allowed as far as how you see this thing being built? What's extravagant, what's not extravagant? I think anything's allowed, and that's why we brought somebody out of the box thinking with, with Brody to right. be here to, to be aggressive and change the, change the attitude of our fans right. uh, and, and build some trust. And hopefully this is just starting, uh, that they're going to follow along and watch what Brody has to do. And as far as I mean, is there is there a uh, is there a, a budget that is what we would call manageable, or is it pretty flexible as far as what what's on the table? I think it's flexible, and and the way Brody did the first deal gave us even more flexibility. And and we have some insurance money coming back that'll be redeployed. Uh, and there's ways to build the roster around it. We have some guys coming off this year now that are off. We got some guys coming off the next year or two. Uh, so there, there's flexibility how to how to structure uh, getting the right number of, of bodies in to fill the positions. I mean, you said before what what we need, we'll be we'll be able to find a way to get that into the budget. Brody, how do you view this as we head towards the winter meetings? What are you expecting? How do you expect this market to shake out? I mean, we saw what happened yesterday with Corbin. How do you think this is going to shake out this year? I, I think it, it at least from my standpoint, I feel like it's been about as active as any early market as I've seen. You know, for, a, for a 
free agent the size of Corbin to, to sign before the winter meetings, to have the trade that we just completed go down for Segura to go to Philly. I mean, you're starting to see real activity, at least from the chatter that I've heard from clubs. It seems like uh, seems like there should be some fireworks here over the course of the next couple of weeks. Do you think there's going to be a lot of trades? Uh, do you think there's going to be a lot of activity? Forget the big couple guys that are at the top who will obviously, they're in a little bit of a, their own area there as far as that. You know, you, some clubs go after them, some don't. But as far as the rank and file, you think this is going to be a very aggressive year as far as signing free agents? Uh, free agents, I don't know. I, th- I think there's a lot of players out there. There's some depth for sure. I think we've got some starting pitchers that are still still out there. Um, that fit in a few different price ranges. There's a lot of bullpen pieces, and if the bullpen market is anyway similar to what it was last year, there's going to be some spending there. But I do think we're going to see some big-name trades still still to be had. It feels like there's a lot of players that may be available from teams that are either trying to reconfigure their payroll or or clear it all together. Mickey, there's, there's this change going on with starting pitching. We're seeing what Tampa did this year, okay? Is that going to be a new? Are we going to see more of that, or is that just going to be for teams that don't have starting pitchers that are going to be playing that game with with these relievers starting games and the bullpen by committee and everything we're seeing now? Is that the new wave of where baseball is going to go, or is this just going to be for teams that just don't have starting pitchers? It's going to be for teams, and, and this is my opinion. Right. This is for teams that uh, don't just have don't have the ability to sign get the guys. It, it's for teams that don't rely on free agents to right. uh, win. Gotcha. Um, you, you, you know, the how are you going right. to sign a free agent reliever and say, oh, we might start you? You know, right. that's just that's tough to do. So I think Tampa had to do it to have the success they did this year, and it worked for them. I don't think it's something that uh, all of baseball is going to grasp onto. What will also work for them is they had a starter who pitched lights out and, you know, <laughs> yeah. was like the one, best pitcher in yeah, the league. Yeah, absolutely. And the rest of their pitchers pitched great. They I did. mean, they actually played unbelievably you look at their everyday roster, it's hard to see how they ever, you know, won that many games. But they, and especially in a league where they're playing the Yankees and Red Sox 38 times, they won a lot of games. They, they really they did. Really did. So people, job. I think, are trying to think, oh, Tampa was successful, so maybe we'll copy that. I don't think it, it doesn't make a lot of sense you, you, to you me, can't. though. No, you can't. I think you, it, it's still baseball, and traditional baseball always rules. It's kind of like what you talked about with the two hole, three hole hitter. Right. The only reason you want to hit uh, a Cespedes in the two hole is to get him 17 more at bats. That's all. Right. So, you know, it's, it's baseball is baseball, and we have baseball players that want to go out there. Do you pitch view seven, eight starting innings. pitchers any differently, though? Do you believe that, that you were going to ask less, or, or, or do you not go into the idea? I'm on the, I'm on the opposite side. So of am that. I. So I just I want wanted to, you I want, want you them to, to throw, go pitch, right? I want them to throw nine innings. Okay. And I, I, I think I made that clear. That was our goal in, in, in Cleveland, and we, they almost did. That's our goal with DeGrom and Syndergaard, and, and those guys are pitching deep into the games consistently. I think we can prepare them to do that. I think we can raise them the right way in our minor league system and prepare them to continue to throw six, seven innings a start and, and be the, the team that's ahead of everybody else uh, because of that. I didn't get to Matt's. Let me get to Matt's. Where, where is Matt's in this whole equation? You know, I think, I think Matt's is a great starter. Uh, he's, he's still – Coming into his own, I think he's kind of in between the stage that uh, you know, Wheeler kind of got there this year. I think Matt's is one step behind him, but but closing in fast. He's got a tremendous uh, arm. I love the way he throws inside to righty, so he neutralizes that uh, you know that component that that usually hurts a left-handed starting pitcher. And uh, he's going to continue to improve. Great worker, great guy, and uh, Dave Island uh, is going to is going to get him where he needs to be. How about you on Matt's? I'm a big, big fan of Matt's. I think Mickey talked about the comparison with with Wheeler. Matt's got to the 30 start 
mark this year. I think that was the first time he got anywhere close to it. And I think that there is an emotional hurdle that gives – once guys get past certain thresholds, they believe that they can go out and take the ball every time. And the fact that he pitched well on top of it, I think is gonna, we're going to continue to see positive momentum with him. How about the rest of your organization? What do you want, Brody, from your organization in terms of how you teach all your minor leaguers, how uh, the scouting's done, the idea of philosophy all the way down into the guys you sign and – International, every bit of the philosophy. What what is going to be your your philosophy as far as what the whole organization is going to produce? Well, I, I've got to thank Jeff, not just because he's my boss, but the fact that he's he's here. We talked just about not just about major league payroll flexibility or budgets. We talked a lot about investments that that I would have the ability to to do in scouting, in player development, in analytics, so that we weren't only operating in one silo or in one vacuum. So you know the hires that we made with Allard Baird and with Adam Gutridge last week. Allard Baird was a big. I mean, he's, that's a very, I mean, Riggleman and Alabama are showing you're going in the right direction. That's for sure. We're getting pros. And and I think Allard is such a, a good baseball I agree. guy. I agree. And, and what he does, to your exact point, is he's a development guy that right. can really systemize what we're doing at the minor league level from the draft all the way through. And even Mickey and, and Allard had a chance to get together today about making sure what we're doing at the big league level is consistent in the minor leagues. Mickey, do you want them to teach them all a certain way? I mean, do you want to work with your guys all the way down to your first, to your A-ball leagues and teach your guys how do you want them, your players taught? I think we need to develop them best we can. And, and to do that, we have to have a process. We have to have goals in A-ball. We have to have goals in double-A. So each player moves up when they're supposed to. And if they can control the running game at this level, okay, then they can they go to the next level. So I think there has to be a process. I spoke. I, I spent an hour with Allard this morning talking about all those things. What an unbelievable, thoughtful baseball guy. And he's all about development and developing baseball players the right way. Jeff, what has been – what were you when you envisioned making this move, bringing in Brody, and obviously it's a outside the box move that has been well received already. Uh, you're clearly more aggressive. Uh, everyone likes. I mean, you mentioned Regelman, excellent move. Baird, excellent move. What did you want to change right away inside, not just the major league team, but in the whole organization? I think positivity. I, I think we needed a little bit of uh, of some new blood and change the the talk within the organization. I mean, Brody's a hard worker. I feel like I'm a hard worker. We're both in the office at before 8 o'clock in the morning talking baseball. Um, and I go about my day. He goes about his day. And then we, we reconnect towards the end of the day, which is usually 7, 8 o'clock in, back at the office. Um, I think he's done that. I think the, the great learning curve was going through this first deal. Okay, And I didn't want the first deal to just be a run-of-the-mill deal. I wanted it to be something bigger because it's always going to be his first. But I think Brody could tell you, there were a lot of steps along the way that I knew about having done other deals with other GMs that he never did, and the ups and downs and deals almost falling apart, it's back together, it's falling apart. Uh, seeing that through and having that with the rest of his staff to get through that first one is a, is a huge learning curve and I think is only going to serve us better in the future. Brody, a uh, big one for you. Um how did you find the organization when you rolled up your sleeves and were there a couple of days? Was it the organization in terms of uh, culture, in terms of, uh, as Jeff said, positivity? Was it the organization you thought it was or was it different than you thought it was? Well, I, I didn't know 
the depths of the organization. You know, I think in working with Jeff and working with Sandy and John Rico and Omar and some of the guys on the senior management level, uh, in new T Tommy Tanis, we, we worked with guys in certain capacities, but I had no idea what the capabilities were throughout the organization. And then my goal was really trying to take the three weeks before we really started cranking up on these deal-making modes. Take three weeks to try to figure out what we have and, and take all of the good and then start to supplement it. And so that's why you're seeing the hires that are happening, happening now is that I wanted to make sure that we could assess where we needed support. And, you know, Allard was an example of leadership. We had a lot of good coaches in the minor leagues. We have a lot of good player development personnel. But to be able to have somebody like Allard come in and provide leadership and structure to those guys, hopefully we can get to, you know, maximize that, those, that effort going forward. Do you have a handle on the talent in the organization yet, or is that something that takes a more time to learn? Well, I, th I think that organizations that have known their talent better than anybody else are the ones that have had the most success. You know, we've looked around the league. How long would it take you to know the talent in your organization? Well, I mean, I, top to bottom. I can't do it alone. And I think what we have now is Omar Manaya came in, Jeff, in April of last year. Correct. And he took that first season to really spend the time to get to know everybody, every player in the organization. Ian Levin has been with us a long time. He's known everybody. Tommy drafted most of the guys in this organization. So there are people here that know the players really well. And I've got to trust those guys before I have a chance to see them with my own eyes all the way through the system. I got to trust those guys and then also bring Adam Gutridge and TJ Barra into the equation to tell us what those guys project to based on the performance they've already had. And how, Jeff, this is something that there seems to be a lot of, you know, difference of opinion on. How, how would you classify the talent in your organization top to bottom right now? Wait, are, are you in terms of, no, guys from, from the bottom of your minor leagues to emerging to the majors, not counting the major league team, how is the organization talent? As far as your prospects. I, I would let somebody else ask that. Uh, well, answer how that. would you say yeah, it I'll, I'll jump in. I, I think that a lot of people try to scoreboard watch in terms of how many prospects you have in the top right. 100. We're looking at how many players we got. And so you, know, you what, think that's done in, so you think the guys who rate organizations are, in, are inaccurate how they do it? No, I think sometimes it's a matter of how much of a signing bonus the guy got dictates where he gets on a, on a Base, prospect. Okay. Right? So, Which is for, true in every sport, where a guy's drafted. Sure, right, and, I, and, and look, I think when people make investments in those prospects, you want to you make sure you get credit for them. Right. But, but I think as we looked at even this deal that we made, we felt like we were able to hang on to our top two prospects that are at the upper levels of the minor leagues in Alonzo and Jimenez. We think those two guys were able to hold on to. We held on to two other double-A pitchers that, we, that are both first-rounders, like Dunn and David Peterson and Anthony Kay. And then we really feel like there's a really strong base of, client, of, uh, of players' clients. They're all clients now, right, Jeff? <laughs> right. Um, of players that are going to be on that Columbia team that, uh, that we feel like we have a really good, really good base. The idea, you just mentioned clients. What was the biggest advantage you had in your old job taking this job? What, what, what advantage or vantage point did you have that someone else wouldn't have considering your background? Well, I think there's a couple things. Number one, it's understanding how to motivate players and understanding what players' needs are. You know, a lot of times players will communicate things to their parents and to their agents that they won't communicate to their coaches or their, or their management. And to be able to, to have the dialogue where we can have transparency and honesty, I think there's value in that. And I don't think very many people in my chair have that type of dialogue or trust with the players. And so I want to I build off of that and continue it. Mickey, do you use your own eyes in, in spring training to evaluate what's below, or do you, you go 
spend time on the phone and trust your guys who are managing your clubs down there? I, I do both. I think that uh, I got to see, obviously, guys in spring training last year. I got to see Alonzo uh, have some at-bats. I got to see Jimenez come up and show the poise and his ability to, to put the bat on the ball. Um, and, and, and I also get to talk to the player development guys. Yeah, I think that's crucial. That's one thing when – when I got the job that uh, we, we thought was paramount is for all of us to start, uh, you know, kind of co-mingling and making sure that uh, we all are aware of what's going on with all of our players. Because like Brody said before, I've said it's about the players. And I think to answer your question about how our prospects are and what we yeah, have, yeah. they're about to get better Why? with the hire of – Allard Baird overseeing our minor league They're going to be system. developed better they're or they're going to be, be picked better? They're going to be developed better. They're going to be picked better. Okay. And I think that's not a knock on what's been going on. It's just because we're going to continue to improve. So whatever we had last year, two years ago, three years ago, whatever we have next year, it's going to be better the following year because we're going to do everything we can to, to be the best organization we can be. Why do you think, Jeff, and I'll start with you on this, why do you think the Mets have been so good through the years, even dating back before you guys, at producing pitches and not producing position players? Uh, great question. I'm, I'm not sure I know the answer. I, I've, I've thought about it before. I think it's been a, a, a scouting and development thing. that You're that, looking for pitches. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. If, I mean, that's the obvious answer. What would? You, how would you answer that question, Brody? Well, I don't have as much history clearly right. as, as Jeff does. But it's clearly been an issue. It, I mean, it, there's no question. But I think it's starting to change. I mean, from a development standpoint, right. obviously scouting you know, happens not only at the domestic level, but happens in international as well. But when you look at our current roster, we've got two homegrown catchers. I mean, obviously Darno was, was a trade, but came up through, right. through our minor league system. We've got our shortstop who's homegrown. We've got our two corner outfielders that are homegrown. And Juan Lagares was, was an international sign. So we actually have a lot of guys that are contributing right now. And I think, as Mickey said, the goal for us in the development system now is to create consistent messaging. You know, I, Momar and I were able to spend some time with some of our top prospects this fall, sat down with them, and one thing that we heard consistently was we just want to have the same message from the rovers that come in to see us to the coaches that we have to what they're expecting for us from the big leagues. And that's what we're trying to do for the hitters especially. Does it? Does the same old Mets stuff bother you that you hear everywhere? I mean, you're trying to change that now. You're out in front of that. Jeff brought you in because you're a positive guy who's got, obviously, a polished guy who's positive and is going to try and change that. And you already started have dug in on that, clearly. But that's what you always hear. That's kind of like follows around certain franchises. It has followed the Mets around. Yeah, I mean, again, everybody has their own perspective. I did a lot of deals with Jeff. I did a lot of deals with Sandy. And I remember it, during the Cespedes negotiation, it was the first one. And I asked Sandy a question as we were going down the road. I said, okay, I know the reputation for the Mets. Are you in this to win it? And that was a question both in terms of in, in it to win games, but also in to win the negotiation to try to get the player. And so that was a mindset that I saw and felt immediately that I don't know the rest of the world felt. And so when I took this job, it's been a continuation of that. You know, Jeff talks about, you know, wanting to go get the best team and get the best players. You know, I feel like, you know, we have the ability to go out and finish first, not finish second or third or fourth. And that's what that's what we believe we can do. And I give Sandy credit on Cespedes because he didn't want him. And I, we all know that. And I know the back And you guys convinced him to take him. And it wasn't easy because he didn't really want him. And he finally backed off and said, I'll take him, which, you know, that, 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 sh that showed me something, though, that he did that. Well, I think he deserves more credit than that. That might have been his negotiating style because he wouldn't have put forth a deal that he negotiated with Brody and I got involved at the I'm end. I'm talking about when you traded for him. 
you know, no, he, no, no. He, yeah. he, he was there with the trade. There were others in the room that didn't want him. Right. And I remember him giving me the thumbs up that he wants me to go forward and actually pull the trigger. And I'll, I'll never forget him walking out of the room one last time. He said, thumbs up. I gave him thumbs up. Uh, but there were naysayers in that room for sure on the, on the trade side. On the trade side, yes. And after, after that, he had obviously a great start. But th- that whole idea of changing that is, is a big deal. And with you, Mickey, uh, like I said, you got beat up. I mean, it had a – it's an easy thing, but the scorecard thing had to drive you crazy. I mean, yeah. you heard about it all year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean I'm sure you, you wanted to deck somebody for bringing up the scorecard thing I mean, one more time. I mean, Mike, sitting in that dugout in Cincinnati – when we batted out of order, and it's a day game, and the I sun's remember. beating down, I remember. I remember. and we just got Miserocco. It was the worst day of my life. And and I, every single day, that lineup card went up there, or a manager on the opposing team is standing on the top step the rest of the year. Yep. I panicked a little bit because okay. it, it was it was something that uh, you know I should have taken care of. It was on my watch, and, and I felt uh, like I let the team. And you down. hear those fans it in the tough. stands the yeah. whole year. They don't they don't stop. I mean, no, they, don't, they don't. They go you after you the and, whole and, year. Yeah, you know what? They they deserve to because it's something you can't that have rabbit ears, obviously. So yeah, yeah, you can't. You, but, you have to move on. But still, on. you know what? And you know you went through a whole year of it though. It's tough. Yeah, it's yeah. tough. You heard about it. It's it followed you the whole season. Yeah, Mike. Mike. He made one mistake. And he made other mistakes also. But what we talked about with Mickey when when he first came on is, okay, you're going to make mistakes. You're a rookie in in this position. Don't make it a second time. And I think that's what he proved. And I think he he and the staff deserve great credit for not having this team laid down on them. No, he's not laid down. Absolutely. The team played hard down the stretch. It it absolutely did. But just the idea of dealing with that. And what was the hardest part of being a first-year manager? What's the the thing that you have to learn? You were a successful pitching coach. You're on a championship team. You're in the World Series, the whole thing. What was the hardest part of being a first-year manager in a new league? Yeah, I think that uh, obviously the – the league is totally different. When you come over to the National League, you're thinking a thousand thoughts yep. in a game. Where in the American League, you're thinking about five. You know who you're going to yep. bring in uh, to face the next. You know this batter w- when the starter comes out. So uh, there was definitely that component. Um, the other component was um, you know the media responsibilities and kind of managing your time throughout the day so the players get enough attention because they deserve the attention that that my job is to also take care of the media responsibilities and do all that. And, and I have to balance those things. So, you know, I was constantly learning how to balance those things. And I think, uh, towards the end, uh, it, it all came together and I really got used to it and got the flow of it and was able to feel like I was doing the players justice by spending the right amount of time with them. And there was times in the, in the middle of the season where, um, I didn't do a great job of that, and I learned from it. I got some feedback from the guys, and uh, we made the adjustment. And I felt like at the end we, we were clicking uh, pretty well. Yeah, and you obviously had the thing where you didn't have Cespedes for such a big part of the season last year. He was in, out, out. You know, you didn't know where he was, whether he was going to play, this and that. He was almost like hanging over the club's head the whole year, you know, which is tough when that's your big player. It is. You you want to have him in the lineup. He's such a difference maker. Like, Oh, look at the record. The record with him playing is unbelievable it's, it's compared unbelievable. to what he doesn't and, play. And yeah. just being an opposing pitching coach and an opposing pitching staff when he's in a lineup, and preparing for that and the anxiety that causes, that's a tremendous boost going into a series, do you, even if he doesn't do anything. How about handling players now? Do you think it, you know, I, I go through this all the time and haven't done this for as long as I have, 30-something years. You know, clearly 
coaches are, and managers are different now, and players get a lot more leeway on a lot of things than they used to, and the, and the way practice schedule is done and in every sport. Everything has changed. Do you think you have to have a different temperament with players now than you did years ago? I think you definitely do. I think that... Uh... Is it, go- is, it, is it explaining things to them, or is it just that you have to be maybe less rigid? Players are very thoughtful, and they can go search things. They have uh, immediate information at their disposal, and it's not just coming from the coaches. When I played, the only information I had was from a coach, so I just did whatever he told me to do. Um, so when you're a coach nowadays, you have to be prepared going in that they're going to ask intelligent questions, they're going to be able to research things, and you have to be prepared – to know everything that's out there to get them to go in the right direction. And uh, it's not being less rigid. It's creating a culture where every, hey, this game has to be played the right way. It just does for us to be successful. It's um, making sure that your culture creates uh, uh, an atmosphere that everyone in that clubhouse expects the game to be played the right way, and they hold themselves accountable for it. Do you expect different things, Jeff, as an owner from your players now than you did 10 years ago? Do you treat them differently? I don't know if you if you expect anything different. I think you do treat them a little bit differently. I mean, they How deserve so? respect. I think they, they care about their families. They care about what they're doing. You have to show that you care about them as do a you, person. Do you, talk to, do you have more interaction with players now, now or less than you did, say, 10 years ago? I'd say about the same. About the same, okay. How about you as a general manager? Do you believe in having a lot of interaction with your players and not a lot of interaction with your players? You know, we talked about it earlier. I think that's going to be a, a strength of mine, and I think it's going to be a competitive advantage. And you know, is, I that, think, is that his domain or is that your domain as a general manager? That's a great question. I think we've talked a lot about this. Is If we're going to create the culture and the team framework that we want, is that we're all in the same domain. You know, Robbie Cano was in my office today talking about roster construction. I want to be in his office. But the bottom line is, you know, these players have a really tough job. They don't have a shade tree. One of my partners used to call, if you go out there for God and country to watch you perform every day, right. they see whether you their succeed or fail. Yeah, so they're held accountable. Mickey's, Mickey's held accountable absolutely. when he says the lineup card. And I want us to be held accountable. And I think if the players realize that we're going to work as hard as they are and we're willing to put our success in their hands and they're willing to put their success in our, our hands, then we can live and die together. Well, you know, that's the one thing of the jobs we take that are public, like yours and mine, we get report cards. That's the way everyone knows how, what our performance is. I mean, it's, it's there. For, it's obvious. So, I mean, that, that's part of the job they, they, they take. But that's a fine line, isn't it? You know, it's interesting. I've, I know that uh, general managers, I won't give you any team, that has showed up on the road because his team's floundering and thinks he's got to go address his team. Is that something you could see yourself doing? There won't be a change whether we're playing well or playing poorly for me. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be omnipresent. I've talked to Jeff and Fred and Saul that it's important for players you to see you. You want to be on the road with your team, you think, a lot? Absolutely. All year? As, as much as possible. Okay, that's unusual. So, so not every general manager does that. So you want to be with the team even on the road? If my wife lets me. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> well, you know she's the boss like everyone else, so we're all the same. But, I mean, that, that's interesting. So you want to be a very visible part of this organization. How do you feel about that, Mickey? You okay I, I like that? it. Um, I think that uh, Jim Riggleman, in his interview, said something very interesting. I, mean, I learned a ton from him just in his interview. He said even when his team's lost, he made it a point to walk through the clubhouse. And pat a guy on the back. You know, most managers just go duck in and they're and they're done. They're mad. They lost. Um, I think Brody's consistency in that is going to go a long way. 
And it would be different, like you said, if he just came in when we're losing just to be seen. But Brody's not that type of guy. He's going to be present. He's going to come in when times are good and bad, and he's going to believe in everything that's going on down there. And it's about communication. Um, all of us need to be as present as we possibly can, but we have to communicate. And if he has a conversation with a player, he's going to let me know about it, just like I'm going to let him know what's going on with every player. And as long as that's done, then it's better that we're all present and the players know that we all care for him. Are you a guy that – like if your team went out – you got you had some stinker games last year. Yeah. All right, we know that. <laughs> I mean, I saw a bunch of those. So did you chew your team out? Are you a guy that chew your team out? Uh, you know what? Or you I, don't believe I, in that? No, I, I believe in that. Okay. I think it worked for me. Okay. I think it works for, for certain people. I think you have to pump them up every now and again. Okay. And I know there's uh, – you know, I, I'm a fiery guy. I know okay. it doesn't always come across that way. But uh, I played with fire, and, and I got charged on the mound, and I hit people on purpose because I thought it was necessary, and I'll do anything I can to win. And if I need to choose somebody out, I'll do it, and I've done it uh, many times. Um, if, I, if I think I need to keep my composure, um, I'll do that as well. So I'm there to win no matter what it takes. I'll embarrass myself to win. I'll do anything it takes for us to win a ball game. So you guys kind of you want to build a partnership with right with your management team is what you're saying, right? That's, that's the exact word, and and we have to. People inherently know the truth, so why not tell them the truth? Yeah. And and once you do, you're going to gain respect from them. And as long as we're all on the same page and we're rolling up our sleeves together, I think it's a partnership. And and I I told the players, I said, look, I'm excited to work for you. Most people think they work for us. It's the other way around. We work for these guys. If we give them the support and the resources, we're gonna we're gonna win. Now you came on. You were the first day. You were pretty cocky. You said you said I'm gonna. <laughs> and you know what? I gave you grief, but I said I like it. I, I listen. I like people who were cocky, but they got to back it up. Now that meant I said we'll see. Let's see the deals. Now we've seen one. Let's see where you're headed. But you said we're gonna win now and in the future. And you underline now. You made sure you underline now. Okay, so uh, and your fan base got pretty charged up by that. I could see that, you know, some of the guys think, man, this guy's on the moon. Where are we going to get these players from? We were a terrible team last year. And the bottom line is you have been very aggressive so far. So you think you can win with this team, maybe not as constructed today, but in a couple of weeks this year. We have to keep going. And, and we're not there yet. You didn't answer the question. I will. Yeah. I will. I will. We, your, your question is spot on. We have to do more. We're going to win this year. Win this year. Define winning. Well, we won, what, 77 games last year? 77, uh, yes. We've got to win a lot more games this year. But How many is that? Uh, what, I mean, we're not playoffs? going to go off what our analytics say. I don't we, care about yes. number. Playoffs. Look, look, we're, we're, playoffs is fine. I don't need, I, I don't, I don't need I don't 92. Ever, I mean, for for us, we're, we're not trying to build models to, to get into a wild card game and take our chances. We're right. here to win divisions. We're here to win championships. And I think if we put the right guys in the room, I, look, cocky, confident, whatever you want to call it, we're not stopping here. We're going to keep trying. Are you? Is it fair to say you're confident? I'm. I'm. I'm very confident. Yes, and and I'm even harder working. Okay, that's good. I mean, but you feel you have. A, what I've always said is, when I'm asked all the time, obviously by by people, what do you want to see in an executive? What do you want to see in a manager? I always say the same thing. I want a guy who's got a plan, and you can't move him off his plan. Now, after a long period, of, a certain period of time, if it's not working, we're all going to know it. But I don't want to see a guy who's like one day this way, next day this way. I want a guy to have a plan and a vision. 
clearly you have come in with that right now. So do you feel, is it fair to say you feel you have a recipe that's going to work? We're, yes, we're, we're on our way to our plan. And the other, any good plan has to have a plan B and it has to plan, have a plan C because we can't control all the variables. Right. So we're going to always you try have to have You have something in mind for this team. You have a vision right now where you would like to be when you go down at Port St. Lucie which has now grown up. I mean, the first time I went to Port St. Lucie, I used to stay down in Palm Beach because there was not even a place to stay in when we first went there, right? There was Chi-Chi's. There was nothing in the town. Dog and I used to have to drive back to PJ National and sleep there every night, 50 minutes. Now it's grown up into a pretty big city. It really has. So when you go to Port St. Lucie, which I will visit because I have a place in Palm Beach, but uh, uh, you think you will have... You hope to have, or I would say you think you'll have your team and you will go have put your pieces together. Yes. And I think our, our moves yesterday put us, gave us two pieces that are going to help us do that. And we're going to keep going. And, and some of those moves, they may not all make headlines like they did yesterday. They don't have to make headlines. But, but, but. we're, we're going to be smart. We've already added some guys to minor league contracts. We're going to continue to be aggressive there to give us the depth. But we're going to add major league pieces that people are going to recognize. But but we're also going to do smart moves to get us better. That's Brody. Of course, I want you guys to get the voices down. So, you know, that's Brody Van Wagon. And of course, with Mickey Calloway and Jeff, Jeff Wilpon. Um, Brody, the... You know, you said that you win right away. You say that uh, you have a plan right now. When you got this first piece in, did you go out of your way? Jeff alluded to it, so I think you did. You wanted this first one to make a splash for effect. Were you trying to send a message to your fan base by making sure the first one was a big one for effect? It was for you. Oh, for me. Oh, for <laughs> we, we knew this was already on calendar that we had to come in here. So okay, we, didn't, we didn't want to have nothing gotcha. to talk about. I had more a, than words. That yeah. was a good idea not to come in here empty-handed. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I can tell you that. That was a very good idea. And, and, but was it fair to say you wanted that first one to make a splash? We wanted it to, to matter. And, and not just because we wanted people to be talking about it, but we wanted it to address the needs that we have. And I think we did that. So. All right. Let me get to one other point. I liked Tim Tebow as a football player. What is this fascination? With, and he's your client. What is this fascination with Tim Tebow as a baseball player? What is it? What are you going to dress Mr. Met in center field and put Tebow in left? I mean, Tebow's not a major league player. What are you guys talking about? Did, have need, you seen him play? We need him at Syracuse. We need him at Syracuse. <laughs> yeah. Okay? We, well, you we just, just got, draw people? We, listen, he's a great person. The guy had 230 in double A. He's a great person. A great he person. A hey, he should be a senator in Florida someday <laughs> or a governor or president. Tim Tebow's a great, hey, nicest guy. Great. I actually believe all his religion. I think he believes everything. I don't, I don't think he's got a fake bone in his body. He was a great football player. He's not a good baseball player. He's Tim Tebow, the celebrity. That's what he is. What is he doing? He's not going to be on a major league roster, is he? I have always said about Tim, tell him he's, you, he can't do something and he's going to prove you wrong. Well, when does he start? Exactly. Have you seen something that shows you a pathway to the major leagues for this guy? No question. I think the strides he made from when he first signed and the showcase that he had to how much better he's gotten at the level of competition he's had to perform, it's been remarkable. Now, can he take those same strides and climb as fast as he well, has last year where are you starting him this year? Syracuse. You're starting with Syracuse. Okay. and One step away. Is the idea, though, but if he is, is it because he's Tim Tebow, your agent, or Tim Tebow, the celebrity, is that a part of this? As, as a man, and I know him extremely well, and I believe in him, you know, in similar ways to the way you're describing him, he would never want a charity invite 
to to a major league roster. Even Sandy admitted it, it was a marketing. He even admitted that I can put this in the marketing department as much as the personnel department. Well, he I think I, I think again it goes back to partnership. I don't think the right arm has to be mutually exclusive from the left arm. But but this is a, what I'm saying to you is for you this is not a publicity stunt, Tim no. Tebow. No, and I and I I believe that if Tim is good enough to help us out at the major league level, he'll play there. But at the same point is he's not going to want a. A courtesy, a courtesy shot at the big leagues. He's going to have to. You're not bringing it. him here to sell tickets, okay? No. Although he'll sell tickets everywhere he goes. I understand that he's got a huge following. The guy, the guy could draw people anywhere. He's like Kylie Jenner. He can draw people in a, a department store. Okay, <laughs> he's just he's one of those people who's just he has a following. He has an incredible following. Mike, do you think he'd like that podcast? Do you think he'd like that analogy? Him and Kylie Jenner? <laughs> Why not? I mean, she fills up. Hey, I bought Ulta stock because she fills up everywhere she goes. I mean, she sells makeup. They breaks the she breaks the computers selling that stuff. She doesn't have a talent in her body, but people flock to her. Same thing with Tebow. Tebow shows up at the Super Bowl. There is like a thousand people there to watch him everywhere he goes. You've dealt with this. You know it's what's true. true. No, he is a needle mover. The, the only good part is. Jeff keeps telling me if we win more games, we sell more tickets. So if we're winning enough games, yeah, then the ballpark's going to be sold out. Hey, so off we go. Only thing that really sells here. In this town is winning. That that's all. In the long run, you can have a day. You can bring a guy up, okay. But in this town, people go. The only two teams in this town that draw fully when they don't win are the New York Giants and the New York Rangers. Not even the Yankees. They won't. The, their attendance will take a big dip. Giants, they show up. They might yell and scream and burn their tickets, but they'll show up. And Rangers always show up. They're the only teams that show up when they lose. Otherwise, the rest of the teams, you got to win. I don't care who it is. The Knicks, they're showing up. It's a lot of people who are tourists showing up to see the team. But they want to see Madison Square Garden. They want to see the show, the whole thing. But you got to sell. You know that. You got In this town, you win, You the people will be there. And you win big, they'll be there big. You won't have a, you know, you'll have every seat full. You know that. That's how this town is. It's a... It's a you have nine professional teams. You know, there's always go on. This town goes on to the next season. It goes on to the next team when you're out of it. That's just the way this town, this town works. I mean, it's always that way in every sport. So yes, it's about winning. Yeah, that's the goal. That's it. So, but Tim Tebow, to be fair, is not either someone you love as having been his agent or a publicity stunt. Neither. Well, I do love him having been his agent. Right. There, there clearly is some marketing value if he's successful. Right. But there's negative backlash if he's not. What so, do you think Tim Debo wants to do with his life since you know him so well? He wants to continue to make an influence on on people and community and kids more than anything and else. And why did he go to baseball? What, what was the point? He had a burning desire to, to play the sport that he gave up in high school. And he felt like he loved baseball more than anything in the world except, he, play, did, except really. playing quarterback. Right, and that's but, why a lot of people wanted him to go play a different position in the NFL. Go be a tight end. Go be a linebacker. Mm-hmm. He said, unless I can lead men from the quarterback position, I'd rather go play baseball. And he's doing it. Which he could. Uh, he just wasn't very good throwing the ball. But, I mean, he has a, he's a leader. Uh, Tim Tebow is, I think, a special human. I mean, if you told me in 25 years you told me Tim Tebow was president, I would say, okay. I mean, I think he's that kind of guy. I could see that. But if you tell me he's in right field, I'm going to be giving me a break. I mean, come on. Well, he did have to get pushed a little bit, Mike, because of his age. And right. I think that's what Sandy tried to do last year is push him a little bit. Right. Um, but, again, the, what the would he, person Let me ask amazing. this question because he is a, another one that he'll be a fa- Now he'll, there'll be stories about him in the paper tomorrow because I, I brought this up. What would he have to do to be in the major leagues? Not in September call-up, but, I mean, actually be on the roster. 
Look, I think he's going to have to to fill in where we need him. You know, if if we somehow suffered an injury and we needed somebody to replace Brandon Nimmo or Michael Conforto in the starting lineup, and Jeff McNeil was still playing, you know, playing a different position on our roster right now, we'd have to go look to the minor leagues and say, okay, who's the best guy in the minor leagues right now? And if Tim Tebow's the best offensive player in AAA at that point in time, he's going to be in Mickey's lineup. Oh my God. <laughs> I gotta see that day. I mean, really, you, you I, I gotta just, come. You gotta come to this golf tournament think... this year with us, Mike. Well, I listen, was there last year with Brody. I, the six thousand people coming just to watch him. Hey, I've walk seen, around. I've seen it. Like crazy. I said, he has. He there's like certain people that you know. They just you tell them there's gonna be somebody there. There's this kid now that the kids all who's this guy on YouTube who's like. He's he's a, a kid who wears all this makeup and everything. He draws like millions of people. He went to Long Island this week. I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, he drew like he broke the. He, they had to stop the traffic in the streets for the kid. And he's got a YouTube thing. He's got like five million people on. I can't remember his. I'm going to think of it after you go. You can look him up. I, I have to ask my daughter who. The guy on YouTube, he's like, and he's 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 always wearing, toys wears all the crazy about? makeup and everything. He's got a makeup show. I have to ask my daughter; she knows. But the guy went to Roseville Field and stopped. He had stopped the whole town. They had to get they had to reroute the traffic. I mean, he guys, the guy's crazy. So there's people like that. I agree. There'll be people who show up for him. The other thing I was wondering is, have you told Cespedes that McNeil's a scratch golfer, so he actually has someone to play golf with all the time now? I, I haven't played with him yet, so I don't know. Oh yeah. <laughs> Is that true? Scratch golf. Yeah, he, I don't he's know. really good. Wow. Yeah, well, listen, he played against Spieth in 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 the in the amateurs, and he told me he scratched. I said, "You have to go play against your owner." He says, "Is he good?" I said, "He's not good. He's the best amateur player I ever played with. He is scared. I mean, he's so good it's scary." Well, I'd like to I see. Mean, I'd like to see that match. So McNeil says he scratched Jeff. You got to play him. He I'll say, take him as a partner. I want to be a partner. Says he plays four times a week in the off season. All right. And I I'll said, take wait, him right. just take him to your home wait until Cespedes finds out. Well, Cespedes <laughs> doesn't play handicaps. He he takes my money and won't give me strokes. <laughs> so, uh, I've played with him is too he, much, and he's taken my Cespedes? money. Yeah. How good is he? He's very good. Not as I good mean, as you. No, but no. He, he's got, he's got is, the ability. Jeff is crazy. <laughs> Thank Je- you. Je- Jeff is, I mean, you know, so guys say they scratch and they're lying. He says he's scratching. He's serious. I mean, he's, I, day I played with him, he shot 67, I think. So, I mean, he, he is a scary golfer. So, McNeil said to me, I had him on the other day, and I said, I know you're a golfer. He says, yes. I said, are you good? He goes, yes. And then he said, how good? He goes, scratch. I said, oh, okay. I said, how many times a week he plays? I said, four in Santa Barbara. And he played against Spieth uh, in, in, in uh, amateurs. He said he lost. He admitted he didn't make the cut. Spieth did. He didn't make the cut in the in the uh, amateur championship, so Spieth wound up winning it. I don't know what year it was, but he wound up winning it. But how about uh, McNeil for a second? Three twenty nine last year. What's the ceiling on him? Is he an everyday player for you, Mickey? Yeah, I think he can handle the bat as an everyday guy. No I question. Think he played, Does he have a position for an everyday player? I think he played player? defense at second base like an everyday guy last year. And I think it just depends on the 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 makeup of your team. I think right now, as we sit today, we could plug him in at many places and be an everyday guy or we can move him around and get him almost just as he many says he at plays bats. third as well as second he, he does told me. and he, he also said you know i said i heard you were more good hit no field he says that's not fair i'm a good fielder i just got moved around around as a guy who they put every me behind every guy so i never had an everyday position i'm a good fielder so 
he was a pretty. He said he was a pretty good fielder. Did you see that in him? I did. I, okay. I saw a great second baseman with great instincts, great jumps on the balls, and, and he worked at it. He worked with Gary DeSarcina every day to turn two better, to get his footwork better, positioning. And he, he's a thoughtful player with great instincts, so he can play anywhere in the field. Brody, last year Seattle was down on Robbie a little bit defensively, especially when Gordon got there. Uh, and there was talk of him going to first base. Do you see him? A, do you think he slipped from what anything you learned in scouting him? Did, had he slipped last year at second base? And do you see him eventually? Like A-Rod said to me, he has one of the great infill arms of all time. He would be a great third baseman, A-Rod said. Cano, he thought Cano would be a great third baseman. Do you see Cano at a corner eventually moving out of the middle infield, or do you project him to be your second baseman and stay there for years, or do you think he could move to a corner? Time will tell on the on the latter, but yes, we project him to be our second baseman for the next few years, okay. the next couple of years. And on his defense, the last two years defensively were actually better than the two they years were. previous. So then he didn't slip. Okay, so, so, that so he was actually not got better, and he worked on his on his lateral mobility. And right. and uh, Jeff Som, Mickey Som. Well, Sam, we know he's, it's not his arm. His arm is unbelievable. He's got a great infield arm, one of the best ever. But. Uh, a lot of people felt his range had slipped. Now, I didn't yeah. see him a lot in Seattle, so I don't know if he did or it, it didn't. It was better the last two years, and he's got himself in really good shape. And these guys saw it, is that, uh, you know, Robbie is, he's athletic, and he can So he you don't project play. him to a corner at all? No, not in the near term. Okay. And McNeil, would he more likely Mickey be third? Is that be the more likely, or would you like him to, could he play first, too? He McNeil? can play first. He can play the outfield. Oh, yeah. um, he can okay. play multiple positions. I think that I had a talk with his double-A manager, saw him play short at times, and, and he can stand there if we need him to. So there's value in being able to move around. There's value in being able to start um, for a month in one position or the other, and he can do all those things. So he's a very valuable player He also thought in the interview I did, guys, that the first baseman is the real deal. Now, you didn't bring him up last year, which, you know, everyone wanted to see him. You didn't bring him up. Uh, what's your plan for him? How does he project for you this year? We're, we're hoping he's a big part of our team, and we hope it, hope it can be opening day. Opening I mean, we're, so we're making he roster. could be your everyday first baseman on opening day? That, that, that certainly is the goal. And we're building our roster. We're putting a lot of, a lot wow. of stock in, in having him be an impact guy. He was in the fall, Arizona Fall League, right? He was in a Fall League guy. Did he play well? I, I went, he, he did well. I think he led the league in home runs out there. I went and saw him. This kid has power, but he's got work ethic and makeup. How bad is his defense? I think it's been work. It's been much, much better. Okay. Um, is he, it a footwork deal with his face? Footwork, first but but I think Tim Tuffle, our minor league infield instructor, right. has a really good relationship with Peter, and they've been working a lot together. And it's he's made big strides. And people who don't know baseball don't understand first base is a hard position to play, not an easy yeah. position. I mean, much, very hard. You're in on every play, and you got and footwork is a very big key. So it's not an easy position to play. People are nuts about that. Left field, you can stick a guy. First base, you get killed if you, uh, if you stick a guy. But you guys think he can be a workable first base. Right? And the power is real, right? The power is there. He uh, made some great adjustments, too, in his, his strike zone. Is he a 200-strikeout guy? Well, no. I, I, I think he's going to develop into someone that's not. Okay. Um, you know, th- th- you can't ever predict these things, but the strides he made last year towards the end of the season were amazing. And it even took another step in the fall league against a little bit better pitching than he had seen during the season. So... He's in line to come in and compete for a job and, and hit a lot of homers for us in, in spring training. And, and like Brody said, we want him to be an impactful player for us next year. All right, who's tight on time? Anybody? You guys got no, time? We're, we're good. good. Okay, now listen. It's for Christmas, what I want to do is in a couple of minutes, I want to have a couple of callers call in and ask each a question. How's that? Okay, or two. Okay, so I'll referee. If any of them get tough, I'll get rid of them. <laughs> Don't worry about it. But uh, we'll do that in a minute. Mons, get them up. So, and just designate who they want to say, say hello to and ask a question. Uh, we'll do that. But um, Jeff... 
big picture, before I let the callers in, um, what are you expecting out of this year? You made the bold move. You brought him in, okay? A uh, lot of guys that shook up baseball, which I liked. I mean, uh, you know, you thought outside the box. Uh, it's an interesting move, a fascinating move. What are you expecting from from this team this year? Progress. Progress. Real progress. Define uh, that for me. I, I think getting ourselves in a position to be in the playoffs. Okay. Okay. Playoffs is a fair word? Playoffs? Playoffs. Because I think you it's a crapshoot. Once you're in the playoffs, I'll take my chance. Right, but so you my, think this my, can be a playoff team this year, yeah, which I, I categorize I, as a 90-win team. You think it can be that team? I, I think if, if some of the deals Brody's been talking about actually come to fruition and he gets there, we, we'll be in that position. And I think what, what I talked about with Brody in the interview process and, and some of the other candidates as well is how do we have a 10-year run of success, which to me success is we're, we're fighting for a playoff position every year. I'll take my chances. You get me in the playoffs a number of times, we're going to win our share. You can talk uh, playoffs. Can you mention a player on another team right now? You can't, right? You're not, yeah, what, allowed, you're not allowed to mention a player on another team, right, who's on, on another roster or you're allowed to this time of year. Are you no. allowed to? I can't no, talk no. to the other player no, on the roster. No, but I mean, well, you can talk about him, though, right now? <laughs> no, they're, they're, i got to be careful there. You, you're not, yeah. So I can't say what about the real Muto and whether you're getting him or not. I can't ask that. I can that. say he's a really good player. That's it? That's about it. You can't say he's the object of your affection. That's not. <laughs> <laughs> can't go there. Okay. And he's a really the, good player. Hit, hit the dump button. If yeah, he does as a matter of fact, you and I had breakfast last March, and we talked about two guys, <laughs> yes. getting two guys, Real Muto and Yelich. Those were the two guys that we talked about. You know, And Yelich had some season last year until the playoffs. Then he just bombed. But that's all right. That happens all the time. We all know that happens to a lot of guys. How about that? This is a, I have this conversation, Brody, before I take the calls, all the time with Cashman. The idea of building a team for the regular season and building a team for the playoffs, do you draw a distinction, or are you one of those guys who says, I win my 100 games, my 95 games, and the playoffs are going to be a crapshoot? Or do you think you can design a team to be a little better than that in the postseason? Well, I think our starting pitching, as it's designed now, gives us a chance to do both. Because we got guys that can go to post over the course of a 162-game season. And lining up our aces, we're going to be able to go head-to-head and, and beat anybody in the playoffs. So that, our job is to get us there. Mickey, how do you, what, do you, what can you, as a pitching guru, what can you give me that sheds light on why one guy goes in the playoffs and is lights out and another guy goes in the playoffs with glistening Kershaw, the Kershaw effect, versus the Evaldi effect or the uh, Verlander effect? Why does one ace shine in the postseason and another with insane stuff not shine year after year in the postseason? There's, there's so many factors that can play into that. The, the one, and what I can speak to is the one thing and, that I talked to our pitchers in Cleveland when we were in the playoffs was let's deal with controversy better than everybody else. That's all we wanted to do. If there's a bad call, let's deal with it better than the other team. If there's a error, let's deal with that better than the other team and focus on the next pitch. I think it's guys that can knock out all the noise, knock out all the distractions, and focus on the next pitch that are really going to pitch the best in the playoffs. And I think that uh, the guys in Cleveland did a great job of that for a couple of years. You know, it's a, it's a funny thing, though. I mean, Avaldi uh, this year, part of the resume that you're hearing, and clearly he's got great stuff and he's injury prone, but he was lights out in the postseason, which is going to up his ante to people. While a guy like Kluber struggled, a guy like Kershaw continues with we. Not, you see Kershaw in August, September, doesn't give up a run for two months, and then he goes in and he cannot get through those innings, and you say. Is it something that happens? And, you know, we've seen guys 
you know, El Duque was a guy that you could leave him on the beach for 11 weeks in the summertime, and then if you pitched him in October, he was going to pitch a gem. I mean, it just it was the way he was built. You know, do you see it, that as something you can actually measure, or is that just luck of the draw? Well, the beauty for us is we watched Syndergaard and DeGrom in 2015 and 2016. I mean, I don't know that there was a better pitcher in a long time in the postseason. Verlander probably could rival it, but the way Jacob DeGrom was in 2015, he was, very good, he was yes. dominant. Yes. Even when he didn't have his best stuff against the Dodgers out in L.A., he still competed and gave the team a chance to win the game, which they ultimately did. So I yeah. think we have some proven, tested guys there. But we talk about makeup and character development all the time. If you got guys that, that thrive in those moments and actually embrace it, they're not afraid of it, then you know I think we're going to have a chance. And we already have a couple of those, those guys on the roster. Do you think the strikeouts gotten crazy? Do you want to have a team that has hitters that make more contact? Forget the field as far as the shift as much. But this year, there were more strikeouts than hits for the first time in baseball history. And there's not a lot of hits a lot of times. And these extra inning games, you watch them and you think, my God, every guy's trying to hit every ball out of the ballpark. You don't even see a bunt. You don't see it. What about that, Mickey? You want to have guys that are better at moving guys along? The Red Sox were good at that. You know, they'd beat out a two-out hit and beat out a two-out double play ball and then get three singles. Uh, or they'd dump a single in there. They didn't have to hit a bomb every time. Uh, they didn't have guys striking out every time. Do you want to have that kind of guy versus a bunch of guys who hit home runs? I, I think you need a mixture. I think you have to have the McNeils of the world. I think you have to have the Jay Bruces of the world that kind of uh, make your team whole. You know, I, I as a manager, I'd like to see – three guys that scrap and, and put the ball in play and get on base. I'd like to see three guys that are hitting homers, and I'd like to see three guys that never give up a, an at-bat and always grind it out and make the pitcher work. And if you can have some kind of, um, you know, just mix of those hitters, I think that's the ideal scenario. Being an ex-pitching guy, making a game plan for a bunch of hitters that want to go up there and hit home runs, I loved it. Because you, you knew you were going to get a lot of strikeouts and you are going to prevent some runs if you didn't make many mistakes. I want to be able to beat a pitcher when he's on top of his game by moving the runner over, by bunting him over, if we have to. And if you have a mixture of all those guys that you got three guys that can hit the ball out of the park, you got three guys that can get on base, then you can beat a pitcher when he's on his game, and you can beat pitchers when they're not on their game. And I think that's key, especially for the playoffs. They're going to give you these so you can listen to the calls, guys. They're going to plug in the headset. Um, I'm talking, of course, with Jeff Wilpon and Brody Van Wagenen and Mickey Calloway. I'll ask you first, Brody, what's the biggest thing you have to change? Perception of the Mets, you talked about it, the perception you had as an agent of the Mets. Were the Mets serious? Were they for real? Did they really want to get involved? What's the biggest thing you think you have to change as now the face of the franchise or one of the faces of the franchise about people's perception of the Mets? Optimism versus skepticism. I, I want Mets fans and I want people, even around the game, is to, to look at us of, of, to say, okay, we wake up every morning with hope and belief as opposed to doubt. All right, how about you, Mickey? What's the thing you want to change, if anything, about the, the perception of the Mets? Yeah, I, I'm right with Brody. I think that there's a lot of things to feel good about. I think that uh, this is a thoughtful organization that's going to continue to try and improve every day, and I want the fans to understand that we're doing everything we can to be the best organization. Jeff, how about you? As the uh, guy who is the boss of the franchise, as the owner of the franchise, what, what, what if anything, do you want to – I mean, you've already tried to obviously step in that direction with the hires, but uh, what do you want to change, if anything? I, I think I want everybody to understand that we want to win and we care about winning, okay? And we, we live and die the season as the fans do. Uh, and from top to bottom, my dad on down, uh, we all want to win. And we, we really care about the players. We care about what we're doing out there on the field. 
and uh, it, it's a I know it's a bad perception right now, but I think we want to get to a point where where everybody knows we want to win. Mons, give me one call for each guy, and then I'll let them go to their uh, say hello to the, wherever they're going. They got to go do a couple of things. I know inside the, the radio station, so I'll let them do that. But first, let me get uh, in. Give me give me one guy for uh, for Steve. Who does he want to talk to first? Tell me which one. Who wants to? Okay, Steve. Steve, you get to direct it to one person. Who you want to direct your question to? Mr. Brody, please. Okay, go ahead. Uh, great uh, pleasure to talk to you guys. Very excited for the future here. And I was just curious, when it comes to uh, players in uh, Noah Syndergaard's position, and there's been a lot of uh, talk about him being traded, I know the standard answer is as sort of part of the business, but I wonder on a more personal level, just how do you deal with uh, you know, communicating with him, telling him what's going on, and just sort of, you know, if, if he does or does not get traded, let's say he does not, just how you go about, you know, making him feel, you know, safe and secure moving forward so that he can perform. All right, Brody, how about, how about the idea of, of a player who a lot of times, and you know this as being an agent, guys who got to deal with the fact that their name is bandied about as far as maybe being trade bait. Well, I think this year was a perfect example of that because um, some players over the course of the last week, we did trade, and I was communicating to them and to their agents in advance of that so that they were aware of it. Jay Bruce is, is one of those guys. Justin Dunn was another one of those guys. And Jeff McNeil, on the flip side, was hearing his name out there a lot. And we told him and his agent that he was not going to be moved. Um, in Noah's case, I've repeatedly talked to him, most recently on Monday night, to make sure he understood that the moves we were making now are made with him as part of our design for success. And so I want him to know when rumors are real, when rumors are false and be able to instill confidence that if something is ever going to happen with a player, I want them to hear about it from me first. Mickey, you, how about you on that one? Do you, do you also, when you know that uh, all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of speculation about a player, feel you got to pick up the phone and call him? You definitely have to con- connect with these guys. You know, I talked to Jay Bruce as well, and uh, it just so happened that uh, Brody had talked to him first, and Jay Bruce told me, he said, Brody told me everything. He was totally upfront with me. I've never seen that in a GM. Jay Bruce has been traded three times now, and he's never had that, and he valued that. And this was when Jay Bruce was still going to be in our, on our team, and, and he valued that as a player from his GM. So, yeah, we, we definitely reach out to him. You know, being a manager, you know, I, I, I'm a, I, I want to be for the players. I, I want them to all stay, and, and that's my responsibility to um, let them know that, hey, we, you're wanted on this team, and we want to see you succeed. Brody, I would think a distinct advantage. You've been on the other side of that table so many times negotiating. Now being on the other side, I would think is a distinct advantage having been in the other role so often. Players and agents don't want to be in the dark. And the more information they can have that they feel confident in delivering to their, to their players or to, them, to themselves, I think it, uh, it goes a long way in building currency and equity with your guys. How about gamesmanship? Do you understand as an agent and do you understand as a general manager that the agent and the general manager are both going to play the game sometimes? I think we both have to work towards our own agendas. But if we're trying to work in good faith, and hopefully you can build trust over time. How about you as a guy who was a major agent dealing with a major agent who maybe this whole thing ruffled his feathers like a Boris? Well, I think that uh, specifically with Scott, not generally, um, I've had some conversations with, with his outfit. We had a good meeting at the GM meetings, and we wanted to make it clear that there are players that he represents that we like both now and in the future, and we want to make sure that we're working with him in a way that, uh, that accomplishes his goals while also 
serving ours. So it's obviously it's to his benefit to have every door open, not have some closed. So that's the way he saw it. Did he see it that way, or was it, or did he not? He could be pretty stubborn. Oh, I, I think he sees it that way, and I hopefully uh, hopefully that'll continue as, with future discussions. All right, one more. We'll get another one. Tom, who would you like to direct your question to? Hi, I'd like to ask Mickey. Uh, All right, go ahead. I love, I love Conforto. I think his defense is underrated, as his, and his arm is really good. But where do you think his best outfield position is? And also, if and when Seth comes back, do you ever envision him moving over to right field to take advantage of his cast of an arm? Well, I mean, that's yeah. something that's been discussed forever. He doesn't like right field, right? He never yeah. has. He should have been in right field forever. I mean, it, that doesn't happen anymore, though, Mickey. That's changed in baseball. They used to always make sure right field arms were right field arms. Seth Smith is a born right field arm. Yeah, he does, and, and, and that's a great question. I think that uh, we had, a, we had uh, an extensive conversation about Michael Conforto today and what his best position is, and I agree with you. His defense in left field, um, once he, we put him there last year, full-time, every single day, he played a terrific left field. He cut balls off. He got him in quick with that great, accurate arm you're talking about, and he did a great job. The, the question with Cespedes, you know, time will tell. I think that we have to evaluate our team at that point, and that's a little bit of ways away. Um, I hope that everybody we have and in our organization is going to do everything to win. I think Cespedes wants to win more than anybody. He's going to make himself uh, uh, available to us and, and do everything he possibly can to win. He works every single day. I talk to him a lot. He... He, that's the one thing people don't understand is how passionate he is about playing the game. Like he doesn't want to be away. He wants to be on the field and he works harder than most to get there. That's for sure. I mean, but here's a perfect example. Um, and, and, and Terry told me this, Cespedes has told him I'll play center. I'll play left. I don't like to play right. So here's a guy with a cannon. In the old days, they would have said, you're the right fielder and shut up. <laughs> they don't do that anymore. I mean, Moose Garin told a story, and uh, Jeff might have even heard it on the air, where he was in the World Series first inning, and he was coming up with the bases loaded, and he heard the whistle from Casey, and Casey called him back before he ever batted in the game. And he went down, he slammed his bat, he went in the dugout, and Casey called him in there, and the guy who pinch hit for him, Got a double. And he went in after the game and he said to Casey, he said, when I pull you out of the game, don't ever, ever make a sound. Don't ever. That's a different world. I understand that. That's going back in the 50s. But the point is he pinched fitting him before you ever hit in the game. I mean, he just decided <laughs> on pulling him out of the game. So, I mean, that's the old days. They would have said, Cespedes, you're a right fielder. Shut up. That, that, day, that day's not here anymore. Yeah, I think, I think players have to feel comfortable with where they're playing and uh, where they're hitting the lineup. And uh, if, if uh, you want them to play there, you better have some significant evidence that they're going to have success and it's going to be for the betterment of the ball club. So you got to sell them yeah. a little bit. You do. You do. You have to have information that is right. correct so they know that you're taking care of them and right. you're taking care of winning for the Mets. And, you know, some, some outfielders just don't like the way the ball comes off the, the bat in left or right, the right. way it tails away from them. You know, maybe Cess, you know, right. under just sees the ball better in left field and center and the way it comes off the bat. So there can be so many reasons he's uncomfortable over there, but he seems to be uncomfortable at this moment over there. Yeah, and, and it used to be they would take guys and put them in any position during a game. You take a guy, put him here, put him there. They never do that stuff anymore. No, no, it's they changed. Don't. No, it's completely <laughs> different. All right, this one's for Jeff. Dan and Danbury, go ahead, Jeff. Uh, uh, Dan, go ahead. Reading the matter. Go ahead. Uh, good evening, guys. Good. Uh, full, disclo full disclosure, I am 
but I just remember curious when Brody, I'm sorry, Jeff, when Brody, you were interviewing him, um, uh, we got a bad connection. Go ahead. Let me hear if we can hear the question. Go ahead. Can you hear me now? No, go one more time. Um, that when you were interviewing Brody for the job, Oh, okay. Oh, I got it. I got it. They gave me the question, so I'm sorry. So let me reiterate. Jeff, the question was, and it's one for Brody and Jeff, um, the idea of whether when Brody came in to interview for the job, were there any prerequisites that Brody knew about as far as payroll, as far as certain things that he knew were going to be part of the job as he, or he wouldn't even have come in for an interview? Were there any preconceived things that had to be discussed before you had, or was it a regular interview? No, it was a regular interview to start, and we, we evaluated all the candidates on the same level. And then as we got further along into the second round of interviews and, and, uh, and such, we, we then had a conversation on what the payroll and what the roster construction would look like and what Brody wanted to do, not only in the major league roster, but like he said before, having some money and having some resources to evaluate the rest of the talent in the organization outside of the, the baseball players. Brody, you didn't need this job. What would have been or what was a prerequisite? What did you he- have to hear? That's a good question he asked. What, is, what, is, what did you have to hear to take the job? I wouldn't have been interested in the job if there was any even glimpse of a rebuild mindset. You know, I wouldn't leave the position that I had to to just tear something down and, and be motivated to lose 100 games a year. I'm just not wired that way. I had too much uh, too much of a good thing going. And as soon as I understood that, that Jeff and the ownership group had motivation to win every year, then I felt like I could add value to that. What and so that that's what he needed. What did you need to hear from him that he made him the man? I think his commitment to excellence and and his his drive to change the culture around our our ball club, uh, major league and the staff, and really build a collaborative relationship with with everybody within the organization and also our fan base. You didn't hire Mickey as, as and now he's your he's your manager. Does that change in any way the your relationship is how you view his uh, job going long term? Does it change it at all that he wasn't your hire? No, I don't think so, but but one of the things that he and I have both committed to over the course of the last several weeks, I mean, Mickey has a place here. He's been here. We've spent about as much time with each other as I have with my wife over the course of the last last three weeks. And so I think it's important to me, and, and hopefully he feels the same, is that we need to understand our pulse and our rhythm with each other and make sure that we're communicating as effectively as we as we need to be. All right, before I say goodbye, I always let you guys do this. Uh, Mickey, give you a chance. Tell the audience, your Met fans, uh, what they can expect and what's your message to the Met fans as you uh, hit this holiday season as far as your expectations as you uh, get ready for the winter meetings and everything else. I, I think it's going to be an exciting winter. Uh, we've already started it. There's more to be done, and uh, you can. We need to win more for you guys. That that's the bottom line. We're, we 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 do everything we can and and put ourselves in a spot where we can win. But we need to go out there and actually do it. You know, we can talk as cheap. We got to go out there and win games for you next year, and we appreciate the support. We get support on the road. I've never seen fans like this. You go to Seattle, and there's. 2,000 fans in the stands in, in one section, the Seven Lion Army's out there, and, and it's amazing. And, and they deserve a winner, and we're going to do everything we can to put one uh, in front of them. Brody, what's your message? Trust our process. 
be, be patient and recognize that every decision that we make is not made in a vacuum. So trust our process and we'll get there. All right, Jeff, you get the last word. What is it? Well, first of all, thank you for having My us. My pleasure. Mike. Thank I you mean, guys yeah. for coming. It's, I appreciate it's been it. Great, and we appreciate it. And I, I think our fans have to know that we want to win, and we're committed to putting a team on the field that they're going to be proud of to root for and, and be a Met fan. And, Brody, don't come back to you. Bring me another player, okay? So, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> don't, come, don't come back to you. Bring me somebody good, okay? Mike, can we, can we schedule one next week so yes, we go yeah, get another one this Thank week? Thank you, Mickey, for coming in. Appreciate it very <laughs> much. Thanks, Thank you very much, Brody. So, Mickey and Brody and, of course, Jeff Wilpont. Thank you, guys. They're all waiting for you. So, uh, we'll take a break, which we have in an hour and a half. So, we'll see, we'll see you in about an hour. And then we'll be back in a couple of minutes.